You are listening to the AOTA podcast. Here is your host, Matt Brandenburg. All right, today I am joined by Sue Ram, a new practitioner and emerging leader within occupational therapy. Sue, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, you as well. It's always fun to meet someone virtually. Hopefully we get the chance to meet in person soon as well. Um, Maybe at AOTA Inspire. Yes. And at AOTA Inspire, am I correct that you're going to be receiving the Gary Kielhoffner Emerging Leader Award? Yes, that is accurate information. I will be there on Saturday, April 22nd. Congratulations. We're excited for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that award and and what kind of that recognition means? The Gary Kielhoffner Emerging Leader Award is typically given to an OT practitioner who has demonstrated significant leadership and involvement within their career early on. So I have been an occupational therapy practitioner for about Three, this summer will be my third year as an OT practitioner. So three years. And, you know, as you'll get to know, I've been really involved with AOTA, with my state OT associations and my professional development and volunteer leadership. So luckily I've worked with colleagues who really looked up to my work and thought that I was a good representation of this award for this year. So you really are just a, a model practitioner um, for, for all of us. And I, I really want to discuss some of those current roles that you mentioned, um, as well as your lived experience transitioning from being a student to a new practitioner. Um, let's, let's kind of start there. What motivated you to become a pediatric therapist? When I was applying for OT school and throughout the experience of my occupational therapy doctorate program, I was really passionate about mental health across the lifespan. All of the work that I did during that time was really geared towards mental health. Once I graduated, you know, it was time to look for jobs. Those mental health roles were not as readily and easily accessible as I had wanted, especially because I graduated um, right before COVID had happened. That really decreased the amount of opportunities to be working in the community, looking for, you know, shadowing opportunities and other things like that. I had always also been interested in pediatrics, so I did make a little pivot towards pediatrics specifically as far as a practice setting since mental health was not going to be feasible a feasible setting for me to work in right out of OT school and and that's an interesting point i i think we all talk about you know OT as a profession and how amazing it is and and the evidence and and what we can do to to impact people's lives but a lot of times we don't talk so much about the business end about you know finding a job about preparing to start practicing, um, making sure you find something that's a good fit for you. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up a little bit. You were involved with AOTA as a, as a student. Could you discuss kind of what your experience as a student uh, in the Assembly of Student Delegates was with AOTA and, and kind of how that evolved as well? Yeah. As a student, I was in a 
newer developing program. So I was on the second cohort of my OTD program. Within our cohort, we had, you know, a developing SOTA group for students, the Student Occupational Therapy Association. So our group was new. So we had this list of positions that are were that were available and the role of assembly of student delegates representative had not been well established i decided to take on that role and the reason why i wanted to take that role on was because i would have direct communication with aota to know what opportunities were out there as far as that student experience goes so i really wanted to have that connection through that experience I was able to keep in touch with AOTA to learn about when conferences were happening, when calls for papers were happening, when it would be special events such as Backpack Awareness Day, Falls Prevention Awareness Day. I really wanted to be in the know and to share that information with my classmates and the other cohorts. Throughout that experience, I was able to attend conferences because at the time, one of your major responsibilities as the Assembly of Student Delegates representative, was to attend the annual meeting. It really allowed me to be in the know with all of that. During that role, I became active with the Capitol, the AOTA annual Hill Days, which has changed to virtual, at least for the last couple of years. So I was able to have these experiences where I was going to conferences more and going to events more because I had that direct connection. and. Once I was done with that role, you know, once I graduated, I had such a good experience, I wanted to keep giving back. So that that experience, I really think, was a, a platform for where I am now. And that role was recommended to me by my one of my mentors in the program who was teaching. So she said, hey, I think you would be a good fit for this. And I said, OK, and I did it. <laughs> I love that. Just having that willingness to to try something new like that ended up leading you to so many other opportunities. And it sounds like that connection has been so beneficial. Um, and how would you say it's really supported your transition and development into a new practitioner? So that experience really encouraged me to be a volunteer leader. So I always told my, you know, classmates, they would always say, hey, well, how are you? Why are you doing all of this extra stuff? Or how do you have time to do it? And I said, you know, it's just like any other personal goal we have for ourselves. If it's something that we want to do, then we will make the time to do it. And for me, I prioritized volunteer leadership. So having that experience as a student, when you're so busy, and you're trying to balance personal, your personal life, and your student life and the social life, it really is difficult. But having that experience early on of balancing those different responsibilities really lent me a platform to do that once I graduated. After I was after I graduated, I applied to be on the Assembly of Student Delegates Steering Committee. So the steering committee is a group of people who are sending those emails to the people in the OT programs who are the Assembly of Student Delegates representative. So I had such a good time that I said, I would like to continue this. So I applied for that role that was available for me as a almost graduating slash new practitioner. So 
taking on that role really allowed me to still feel like I was useful or still feel like my role had a meaning because once you're in school and then all of that classroom work is done, you sometimes feel kind of lost. So having that connection still with those groups through AOTA really allowed me to still find meaning in what I was doing as I navigated the transition from a student to a practitioner. I, I love that. I, I've i been a practitioner for two years, just about now. And, you know, I think all of us can relate to that, that feeling of being lost as a new practitioner. It's its its a totally new experience. And there's so much to try and balance and, and learn and improve and, and begin applying just in, in everyday life. What, what would you say to new practitioners who maybe didn't have the opportunity to connect with AOTA or any special interest sections when they were students? What, what could they do now to make those connections? And, and how would you say that it would benefit them to connect with AOTA and those special interest sections? Just to know that it's never too late to be involved with something, whether it's AOTA, whether it's your state association, whether it's an association, you know, related to developmental disabilities or whatever your specialty area is, it's never too late to to jump in and make those connections. Consider the benefits of being a member. So knowing that it's not just a website there, there are people who are working behind the scenes to offer these resources here to support us throughout our career from that time as a student, from that time as a practitioner, from that time when you're practicing for many years and you may feel stuck in your intervention. So that support is always there and it's never too late to to seek that out and to find it. As working adults, that is our responsibility to be in the know of what's going on. I love that. That's a, a really great point. That should be an, an emphasis. And when we are in the know in that way, it it only makes us better practitioners and, and care providers to the people that we work with um, across settings, whatever they may be. Thank you for sharing about your student life. We've touched a little bit on this transition, going from a student to a practitioner. You've pass the exam, you spread your wings, and, and you start getting paid too, which is a, a big step. Um, how did you navigate going from passing the NBCOT to getting your first job and, and beginning practice? I'm pretty open about this, but I did have to take my board exam four times. So having to navigate taking the exam, you know, that many times, I really did learn. I learned a lot about myself. I learned about my study habits, potentially my lack thereof. Um, so I learned a lot about that balance and the reason why they make the exam the way that it is. Not saying that it's too hard or that it's too easy. I learned more about why it is the way that it is. So from having to have those setbacks, I learned like, okay, they're asking these things because they want to make sure that when we're working out in the working world that we are capable to make a decision in a split second. They want to make sure that we are being safe. They want to make sure that we were up with evidence-based practice, those types of things. So I really did gain more of an appreciation for why things are done the way they are. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of people who run into challenges when it comes to taking the exam. For me, the biggest thing was to use those textbooks or so quick to try to go sell them online when we're done. But 
those textbooks were really, really important. And I had them, but was I looking at them? Probably not. I would say that the biggest resources were those textbooks and using the resources like the NBCOT exam prep or the AOTA NBCOT exam prep. Those resources are there for a reason and it's to support us in that. So once I passed the exam, I said, it's going to be tricky to find a job, especially during COVID, because that's when it was just the height of everything. No one was going anywhere. No one, everything was just on pause. When it was, when it came that time, I said, well, let me go on to AOTA, <laughs> the website, you know, and I had known about the fellowship programs during school. I had known that those were options. Went onto the AOTA website. I find out about the fellowships. I start to look more into them. And the fellowships really stood out to me as something that I could see myself doing because I had been a student for so long. And, you know, like I mentioned, there's that period when you feel lost, like, what am I doing right now? Looking at what the fellowship program had offered, to me, it would have offered the stepping stone into your career, depending on the fellowship that you pursue. You have those classroom-based learning, you have clinical work, you have mentorship, you have shadowing. It allowed me within pediatrics to learn more about what I was interested in as far as that practice setting goes. It helped me learn more about what areas I probably do not want to work in. So I found out about that through AOTA and you know, had I not been a member at the time, I might not have known or been able to pursue that opportunity or have the resources to learn about it. But during that time period for me, doing the fellowship was the best choice that I made because it supported that transition in a way that I didn't know was even possible. Yeah, no, that's amazing because the transition can be extremely difficult to navigate and, and having supports like that can be so beneficial. I know when I was looking for a job. I was looking for a place where there were very experienced co-workers, a place that had a mentorship program for new hires uh, fresh out of school. And I feel lucky that, that I found a place like that um, and, and have, you know, these built-in mentors and my co-workers um, that are, are helping me train and learn. Mm -hmm. But I also know it's just not practical to expect that in every setting or or in in every job that a that a new practitioner gets. I I love that plug for AOTI's fellowship program. Yeah, and mentorship was something that I really wanted especially because when you're in school you only have that I had the a level 2 that was in early intervention. So that wasn't enough to tell me if that's the the area I want to work in or the area that I don't want to work in. So being able to have mentorship within the fellowship program really allowed me to experience so many different things within peds from aquatic therapy, clinics for cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, spina bifida clinic, feeding, sensory integration, all of those things that you don't get to directly have that experience in school. And I, I can't imagine just going straight out of school and jumping into a setting that one, I may not have had experience in, or maybe there wasn't a mentor available or what have you. So that mentorship piece was really important in what I wanted out of, you know, my first um, job. And I love that mentorship really is so huge. What what kind of tips or recommendations would you give to new practitioners and how they can 
you know, kind of initiate or, or develop a, a mentorship type relationship? Mentorship should be something that that comes naturally, that you you find someone. It doesn't have to be someone right at your workplace. It could be someone that you really look up to. It could be someone that wrote one of your textbooks. It could be a professor you had in the past. So it's all about that connection and making the effort to connect and saying, hey, I really like what you're doing. How can I learn from you? Think about those people that you look up to and say, hey, I want to be doing what you do someday. What was your journey like? So really having those human interactions and talking and asking because most people want to share about themselves and they want to share what they're doing. So I would say, don't ever be afraid to ask, you don't have to be directly, Hey, will you be my mentor? But building that relationship and saying, Hey, I, I'd like to be a part of this or what ideas do you have? So, you know, I think that you can have multiple mentors. I have mentors for every little inconvenience that might come up or any idea that I have. I have a person in mind who I'll just go to them. Hey, I need help with this. Or I want to bounce around some ideas with mental health or, hey, I want to bounce around some ideas with pediatrics or both. So just not being afraid to reach out and keeping that communication going with someone. I think that's a great skill to start even as a student. The OT community is very close-knit. Most of us are pretty helpful people and and excited to help others. Absolutely. I would agree. I think our, our entire field wants to do what's right for, for the field of OT. Um, and, and, and help out where we can. Um, so just that willingness to, to reach out can be so impactful and, and being deliberate about staying in touch with someone. We know OT is amazing. Uh, that, like We love our jobs. It's very impactful. But there's also a lot of hard parts about what we do, um, especially as a new practitioner. What, what would you say are, are kind of some of the most difficult things, whether they be burnout, really finding the time and effort to build your OT toolbox, staying up to date with evidence-based practice or navigating how to bill and code and document efficiently. What are some of the struggles for new practitioners and, and what do you recommend to people who are struggling? To anyone who's struggling with any type of challenge, you know, just know that there's always resources. Even if it's, I'm hitting a roadblock with this patient, what resources are out there? So a lot of times I go onto the AOTA website or the AJOT website, and I see a lot of kids right now in my current role at, at Texas Children's who have really complex conditions. A lot of kids have rare genetic disorders. So when it's something new, I go on and I look it up and I see what evidence might be out there. And I take that and I run with it. The first thing is always to look, look it up. There is going to be information somewhere. And if you don't want to look it up, Go to your mentor. That's why it's so important to have a mentor. Hey, I'm stuck on this right now. How can you help me? As far as challenges go for me, that part has not been a problem because I am not really lacking in mentors and my manager and my coworkers are great with being able to bounce things around. I will say that things that I've experienced in the working world that have been challenging have definitely been when it comes to like diversity. So I identify as minority group, person of color, not having that support sometimes can be tricky for someone who doesn't see a lot of coworkers who might look like them or might come from a similar background. That part is really challenging because 
although you have support from a lot of different a lot of different people, a lot of different professions, sometimes it can be helpful when you hear things in the workplace that might be considered as hurtful or microaggression. I think that having a more diverse workforce could be helpful in alleviating that problem. And I know that there are a lot of other people who I'm close with who've experienced pretty similar things too. When you start out as a new practitioner and you already feel kind of lost, um, that part can really be challenging when it comes to being motivated to do your job or being happy about going to work. Right now, I, I'm at a place where over 60% of the staff comes from a diverse racial background. That really helps the kids too. I'm in Houston, so Houston is a very big city. We have a lot of different people coming from all walks of life. And when they come in and they see someone that looks like them, that really changes the way that they receive services and to feel supported. So it adds an extra layer of that special connection when they have someone that they can kind of look up to. I would say that's been the biggest thing that I've had to deal with. I have a lot of colleagues who, not at my current workplace, um, a lot of colleagues who they talk about productivity and things like that and having a high productivity level. I will say that at my current job, I haven't had a problem with that. But I think it's because we're in a unique situation where we do work with a lot of kids who have complex conditions in an outpatient clinic. So a lot of our kids are in and out of the hospital or they have school functions or they're just not feeling well or what have you. The productivity doesn't really impact us as much. We're not running around all day, you know, worrying about that every day. And I think that is a big part of when you're interviewing. Ask those questions, you know, if if it's something seems off or too much, you know, follow up about it and and ask yourself, is bending my expectations for productivity going to still allow me to have a fulfilling career or job in that particular place? Yeah, you make some amazing points there that really highlight the importance of like a, a cultural fit within within your position and, and within your, your work environment, uh, making sure, you know, it's a positive culture there, a place that you want to go to work, you want to put your best foot forward and and really give a lot because as OTs, OT practitioners, we're asked to give a lot. Uh, you know, the, like the emotional connection with patients and with coworkers can really add to the quality of care that's that's being provided. What would you say to kind of a practitioner who maybe is feeling like burnt out or maybe feeling a little like they're on their own island and, and alone? What could they do to um, to to find a way out of that? Communicating is the biggest part because, you know, sometimes when we're struggling about someone about something, people might not know always having those conversations. I know that my manager and I right now, we have a great relationship where I can communicate with her if I have, you know, some kind of concern. So communicating is the best thing to do. Sometimes you might not get the response that you're looking for, but at least you can tell yourself that you tried to open up and really problem solve about what's going on. People who might be feeling burnt out, I would say, take a step back and Ask yourself, is this something that I want to continue feeling or would I like to change this? Sometimes that means leaving that role or moving on to something else. Sometimes it means that you have to file a report on some kind of injustice that might have been going on. Or it means just having a conversation and whoever's in charge can be like, oh, 
I didn't know that this was going on. So, you know, thanks for sharing and let's problem solve this together. So communication is key, but also doing your own self-reflection. And I think that process starts early on. It starts when you're applying for jobs. Have yourself a checklist on what you're looking for in a job, what things you are okay with and what things you're absolutely not okay with. There are a lot of people talk about not having balance and they're doing work outside of work. So ask yourself when you interview, is this something that I am going to be okay with? And if not, you move on to the next opportunity. I think that as a new practitioner, we tend to be quick to just take the first thing that comes to us because we always hear that it's hard to find a job and whatnot. You don't have to take that first offer that comes to you. It's okay to shop around a little. Find the job that you think is going to be a good fit for a while. It starts at the interview process. And even if something feels off, go and shadow or have lunch with someone who works there and try to really feel things out before you commit. Know that there's lots of jobs out there. I love that. Those are great tips. That's wonderful advice. I think, you know, compassion fatigue is common within healthcare because uh, as as practitioners, we're kind of trained to to put you know the patient or the or the client first, and and that's a, a good way to treat. But in selecting a position and and determining where you know you're going to live and where you're going to work, where you're going to spend so much of your time, you really got to put yourself first mm-hmm. um, and prioritize yourself and your own you know mental health and 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 needs. So you you currently serve in a, a role as the young professionals coordinator at AOTA. Can can we discuss that a little bit? What is a young professionals coordinator and kind of what is your role there? I am the young professionals coordinator of the children and youth special interest section. So working in pediatrics, I wanted to be in tune with what was going on in the pediatric world. I wanted to know what AOTA was working on as far as pediatrics. I wanted to know what research was out there. I wanted to know what initiatives are going on. So within that role, what I've been doing currently is working with the student interns. So AOTA has special interest section interns who work, help us work on special projects. So what I do is really connect with those interns to help them create information, infographics, PowerPoint presentations on what the steering committee does, what projects we have going on, and reach out to student OT groups to educate them on what we do. There are practice chats that special interest section holds. We have journal clubs that are open to all members, anyone who's interested in pediatrics. We have the special interest section quarterly magazine articles that come out as well every quarter to highlight an area of interest in pediatrics at the time. Right now, what we're doing is working on posting on the AOTA community to highlight some of the pediatric-based courses that will be presented at AOTA Inspire. Something else that we're doing right now is working on gathering information because a lot of people are becoming more interested in pediatric mental health, such as myself. So we're having a conversations that matters related to child mental health. So that'll be kind of an open forum situation during the conference where people can come and go join in the join in on the on the conversation, talk about what they what issues they might be facing in practice and how we can help. The children and youth special interest section is really always 
looking for new ideas to just help improve the visibility of this area of practice and to best support practitioners who are working in pediatrics or even thinking about shifting or pivoting over to that if they're currently working in a different setting. So, you know, we, we welcome all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I'm, I'm very interested in that as a pediatric uh, practitioner myself. And where can our listeners access um, those materials? Like if they want to join that journal club, if they want to learn more about what you're doing and, and some of those courses, uh, where should they go? Most of the information we try to post on community, like, hey, we have a, a journal club coming up or, hey, we have these conversations that matter. So we're really trying to get more open discussions on community. So we're really trying to make more of an effort to have more back and forth discussions on there. So that's something that myself and the interns are trying to work on. We don't get to really see each other unless it's at the conference. So community is a is a good alternative for this time. Community is a great way to find out where the, all the happenings are. You can also visit the AOTO website. We have contact information for the chairperson, for myself, all of that. If anyone ever has specific questions, they can feel free to reach out to me. I just have two last questions for you, Sue. How would you say your involvement with AOTA has helped you be a better practitioner? AOTA, they have supported me from the beginning. From when I was a student, they helped me build my passion for being involved because of all the opportunities that I had. There are so many opportunities that I feel like I've had, but they wouldn't have been possible without AOTA from being on the steering committee, from the fellowship, from getting to do my capstone project at AOTA with Federal Affairs. So they really supported me throughout my career thus far. I know I've only been working for about almost three years now. I know that they'll be there to support me in whatever milestone or whatever I'm experiencing in my career. There's always things that can be improved, but that's one reason why I continue to be involved so that when there are things that I don't agree with or things that could be better, that I have a voice in making those changes. I love that. No no community is, is going to be perfect. No professional field is going to be perfect, but uh, being involved can not only provide you with resources and supports and a sense of community, but also allow you to make changes and improve our field as a whole moving forward. It's time now for the golden nugget segment, our concluding segment. If you could tell practitioners one thing, what would it be? After I said all this other stuff, but the main, the main thing, <laughs> the main thing would be to always speak up and use your voice. That goes for mentorship that goes for injustices that goes for being involved in making changes i would say use your voice and and speak up always for what is right and for what you need and want from your career i love that i love that it's a wonderful nugget sue thank you again so much for your time and for sharing all of your knowledge and inspiration with us today thank you for having me Okay, we are now joined by Christy Tang, a new practitioner and another emerging leader within occupational therapy. Christy, thank you so much for being on the show. 
Thanks so much for having me. I feel so privileged to be asked to be here. Of course. It's it's honestly our privilege. Um, <laughs> let's start by discussing your lived experience of transitioning from student to new practitioner, um, and then we'll dive into your current roles, kind of following that same format we did with Sue. What motivated you to become a pediatric therapist? My journey to OT started really close to me. My mom, she was a physical therapist who recently retired. Um, but she kind of pushed me to PT all of my upbringing, and I kind of rebelled just a little bit and like pivoted to OT, just because I I kind of gravitated more towards the occupational therapists I I shadowed and volunteered with, and I found us to be more fun. Pediatrics, I kept coming back to it, really thinking about where my interests were and what really you know fills my cup was always back in pediatrics and working with kids. Before even being an OT, I was also previously a classroom instructor with Teach for America. So I feel like those experiences of lead teaching and learning about the opportunity gap in America gave me more of my fuel and my my why and purpose in occupational therapy. I kept coming back to kids in schools. So that's where I am now. That is awesome. I love how you were able to kind of take the things that you personally value in your own life and pursue the career that you felt would most allow you to do that. Um, that that truly is a, an amazing feeling. You were also involved with the American Occupational Therapy Association as a student. Could you briefly discuss your experience as a student intern? I first found out about the opportunity from my uh, advisor. Um, there was a little blurb that he posted in our Columbia OT, my, my OT program's Facebook group about student internships positions being open for every SIS. And, um, you know, I've always kind of been interested in what AOTA was doing at the time as a first year student. I was had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I didn't know if this was a good fit for me or not, that internship experience. So I scheduled an office hour with um, my advisor, Dr. Lennon Graho, who's um, with another OT program now. And it just seemed like he said, give it a shot. If you know, you can apply and if you get accepted, see what it's like. And if not, oh, you try again next time. And it ended up being really interesting. I feel like the student internship experience when I was there was a little bit new. And so the experience hadn't been fully fleshed out yet. But a lot of the year, I was a fly on the wall on a phone call. I would just listen in on how meetings would go, what the agenda was like, and what what the special intersections were doing to support AOTA members. It was just a great foot in the door. And I think my big ask was to help with conference. Um, At conference, one of the kind of first unofficial events to kick off conference is the special interest section networking reception. And so I was asked to start maybe or come up with an icebreaker for my sensory integration and processing special interest section table. Being at conference, that was my first conference ever. I didn't know what to expect. Um, Not a lot of practitioners were even using my icebreaker, but it was just nice to see behind the scenes and um, get a taste of if this was something that I could see myself doing down the road. Um, Once I graduated, um, it just so happened that the special interest section roles of the sensory integration and processing group opened at that point. And so I asked the last chairperson if she thought I would be a good role as a committee member. And I kind of, again, same approach, just applied and I got accepted. So 
that was the student internship experience into my foot in the door as a committee member for the past three years of the Sensory Integration and Processing SIS group. That's awesome. And I have to applaud just kind of your willingness to, to take a risk or to put yourself out there and, and try something new. And, you know, it, it turns into more opportunities and, and more chances to connect. Um, so that, that is really neat. Um, how, how would you really recommend that students can can get involved with AOTA or, or in what ways do you think getting involved in a, with AOTA as a student can help them transition into new practitioners? You don't ever know what anything is like until you try. So if something is even just sparking your interest, go for it. Why would you let your own self be the one that's inhibiting you from trying out that experience? So if you see that there is some AOTA volunteer position that you think may or may not be just the slimmest good fit for you, give it a try and apply and let others decide if that's the opportunity for you or not. It's seeing if the values mesh or not between the roles and responsibilities and your own personal professional goals. For any students who want to also just, you know, not get a um, committed role, um, just dive into the AOTA website. I feel like there's just a plethora of resources at your disposal that sometimes it's just like so much. But if there's one idea that you're really interested about, Take a look in their search bar and see if something pops up. Dive into CommuNoT on the message board. See if somebody else is thinking of a question that you might have. Look into maybe even like practice guidelines or infographics that AOTA is coming out with. If it's something that you can try, I would encourage you to try going to AOTA's conference as a student. I know it's a lot of information overload, it may seem, but it's also so invigorating to just meet other students, new practitioners, and even like senior experienced OTs that maybe even wrote your textbook are presenting there and you can meet in person. Just give it a shot and try because you never know what might be interesting or what resource that you were asking for is already there and why reinvent the wheel. So just kind of peruse the AOTA's website. I love that. Peruse the website, familiarize yourself with all the things they do make available to students and new practitioners. You've been working as a new practitioner now for a couple of years. How did your kind of perspective on AOTA resources and, and conferences and being a part of, of a special interest section really shift from when you were a student to now being a practitioner? I think the biggest thing that shifted for me was when I was a student, I just kind of thought of AOTA as this big conglomerate almost, like this big mysterious building or body of people who um, who work and who are paid by our membership fees. And in reality, in, in volunteering with AOTA, I'm finding out that it's not the case. <laughs> there is a small body of people who are really, you know, employed by AOTA, but really the work of AOTA is done by volunteers. It's done by OT practitioners for OT practitioners. So I think that was the biggest debunked mystery for me is that, you know, it, there is no magic Oz behind AOTA's curtain. It's OT practitioners holding us up. So I think it's helpful to know that, you know, what you put forward is what you get back. And I feel that I'm passionate about the OT field and I really want OT to have a seat at the table. And that really means putting in the work with AOTA and sharing the OT lived experience. I love that. That's a, a wonderful answer. Thank you, Christy. How 
did you use kind of AOTA resources and, and knowledge about the organization to help you make the transition from school to practice, whether that be with, you know, the NBCOT or, or finding out in, in what setting you wanted to practice in? You know, it was kind of a mix of a lot of things. I think thinking about my own five-year, 10-year professional goals was imperative, keeping that in the forefront. But also, how do you be a good practitioner? You look at also the evidence-based practice, right? It takes some years to translate what comes out in evidence to daily practice, but I want to serve my students and my clients and what is being proven as the most helpful for them because they deserve the best. So it's I feel it's my ethical duty to make sure I'm reading up on what's the most upfront, up and coming, um, what's being proven as working with data or not. So that means heading over to AOTA. That means heading over to systematic reviews and AJA and hearing and reading what they're doing to make sure that's embedded within my practice. Working at a school where I am at right now, teachers are relying on me, the one OT at our school, to make sure I'm having quality interventions because they don't know OT. I am the one who knows OT. So it's up to me to make sure I'm giving quality intervention for my students and that I'm, I'm doing my duty. What really helped me transitioning to school-based OT was looking at the best practices for occupational therapy in schools, second edition, as well as there was a recent systematic review that just came out. Interventions within the scope of occupational therapy to improve children's academic participation, a systematic review. This one was really helpful, um, was just published 2020, and so it really helped me embed my best practices for my clients when I transitioned to this new setting. Thank you for mentioning some of those resources. I'll be sure uh, to make them available in our episode description. Uh, So listeners, check them out there. And you mentioned that you are the only OT in your school. Mm -hmm. What is that like starting as a brand new practitioner, being the only OT in your school, besides using these AOTA resources? How did you really navigate that? This school, I am their first full-time OT, so I've had to set a lot of systems up and and setting my teachers up for best practices. And I think in order to serve my students and teachers and school community the best, um, I need to make sure I'm doing a really good job at it. So I think mentorship was key. I, I was able to gain a mentor from COTAD's mentorship program early on. Um, And we had a formal year-long relationship uh, where I was able to ask objectively and also just subjectively kind of vent at sometimes some cases that were happening or how do I set some really quality goals for myself, my professional goals. Having had a um, practitioner who's been in the field for 10 more years more than me, um, it was really helpful that she had um, some foresight for and to guide me towards my goals, but not to establish the goals for myself. But it's also being able to split the role between what is an OT and what isn't an OT. I have to really go back to the evidence and give the AOTA definition of what does an OT practitioner do and do not do was huge. Um, because I want to make sure my role is skilled and specialized and that nobody else can do what I see in my perspective or my clinical decision making. Um, So it's a mix of a lot of things between looking at the literature, talking with my mentor, 
talking with any mentors that you may have on your work site as well could be really helpful. Um, so I think a mentor in state would be really helpful as well as a mentor if possible at your workplace. My mentor at my workplace is not an OT, is really helpful to think cases through. And then lastly, I think just OT colleagues, like those that you feel close with, that you can confide with. Um, that for me, my OT village is my my classmates from my graduating cohort. We talk about cases, though they're not in the same state, we talk about similar cases of what would you do in this situation versus this, and we share resources that way too. So it's just making sure you have your village and your supportive community behind you, I think is really important because um, this field can lead to a lot of burnout, but if you have your support systems and your balance, you can make it through and you can really be there for so many students down the road. I love that. That's such a wonderful perspective. I think as OTs, we're literally trained and, and professional at helping people develop their own support systems and identify their support systems okay. and, and set up their environment to to facilitate their own success. And it's important that we do the same thing to ourselves mm -hmm. um, to avoid those things like burnout, like you mentioned. How did you connect uh, with a mentor through COTAD? What was that process like? Through COTAD, there's a formal program um, where you put in an application on their website. Um, you answer, I think it was a two-page application about kind of some style, your learning styles and what you're looking for in a mentor. Your mentor will then do the same for what they're looking for for a mentee and then try and match in that way. Um, my partnership happened three years ago, so the program may have changed since then. But I still talk, though the mentorship experience was structured for about 10 months. I still keep tabs with my mentor here and there. Um, and we still, we both practice in school-based at this point, which we weren't when we connected. And um, we still keep tabs and we're still in the same state. So we can ask about school-based practices in that way. Beyond COTAD, um, there are other mentorship opportunities out there. Um, at least for the sensory integration and processing SIS, we formed our own mentorship program to kind of guide new practitioners and even seasoned practitioners to um, sensory practice and maybe a pre-certification program. Um, just kind of getting your feet wet into the field. And I think informally you can find mentorship opportunities out there. I mean, uh, I've done many virtual coffee chats with other OT practitioners in-state, out-of-state. I think due to COVID, we're just all kind of open to meeting on Zoom and just kind of picking somebody's brain about a topic you may have found interesting, I think you should take advantage of. I love that OT practitioners, we're, we're in the helping profession and we really do want to help not only our clients, but our OT practitioners around us that we work alongside. So um, be brave and send that um, introductory email and you'd be surprised with who responds and what action items are taken from it. So yeah, I'd encourage you to just find your village and find who may be helpful to you refill your cup. I love that. And you, Christy, currently continue to, to serve and volunteer within AOTA now as the Young Professionals Coordinator within the Sensory Integration and Processing Special Interest Section, like you mentioned. Um, I, I think this is a great time to kind of talk about what you do there and, and how you connect practitioners and, and help them, you know, find mentors or, or improve their practice in general. The Young Professionals Coordinator may be an outdated um, role at this point. 
Um, but when I entered the special interest section committee, there were formal roles within my SIS that we were delegated roles for. And so I was elected into the young professional coordinator's role. And very loosely, we were asked to represent the student and new practitioner role and voice um, within our SIS and to vouch for what we may be wanting or wanting to hear from. And I feel that I was trying to do that from both behind the scenes and um, practitioner front based. Um, so within my SIS, I managed our two student interns per year. So having had the student intern experience, I hope to help, I helped to help coach the student interns um, in their year long journey, whether if they had concrete professional goals or not, I tried to flesh that out with them and delegate projects that might have served their clinical and professional interests. But I also tried to think in the practitioner's shoes of what would a student or somebody who's just brand new to the sensory world want to know about. Um, I think for me, um, thinking back to when I was a student, I thought a lot about imposter syndrome and feeling like I didn't have a seat to talk because I didn't work with clients yet. But having been a classroom teacher before, I feel like I did have things to share. And I think I want students to know and new practitioners to know they do have a voice, they do have a perspective, and they have great questions. So anytime we had maybe a practice chat or even when forming the sensory um, mentorship program in our SIS, I really vouched for what we would want and to make sure there was maybe, for example, a breakout room for new practitioners to feel comfortable to share things in. So that's kind of the groundwork I left. And I hope that, you know, as my term is coming to a close in, in the end of June, I hope that, you know, we continue thinking and vouching for those new practitioners in the sensory field. Honestly, I think it's so empowering to know that there's people rooting for you. There's people on your side, people advocating for you, hoping the best for you. Mm -hmm. Any of our listeners who might feel like they're not sure if they have support from someone, look up your special interest section leadership committee. Reach out because there are people like Christy who are going to connect you with the right people, with the right resources, and are just going to have your best interest in mind. Yeah, or we'll find the answer together if I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, the teamwork within practice. I'm a new practitioner myself, and I know there's some things that are really difficult to, to know how to navigate, um, whether that be avoiding burnout, building an intervention toolbox, um, emphasizing evidence-based practice, or even learning how to navigate billing, coding, and documentation. Uh, what have you found to be helpful um, to support you in any of those issues? There's so much to learn as a new practitioner, right? Like in OT school, you're just learned to be a, a generalist. And there's so much more to learn when you're in your new position. And you're, get, you're hitting the ground running in your new field. So um, I think the hardest part for me was to kind of decipher what the what I like to call the alphabet soup is, especially in school-based practice. There's so many acronyms for anything, like an IEP or 504 or LRE. And just, you know, being able to have your own dictionary in your mind was a lot. Um, and that goes for even billing and coding. Um it's a lot to sort, but I think if you have somebody 
around you to talk it out with is extremely helpful. So for me, in my first role was a outpatient OT pediatric clinic, and we had a OT supervisor who we could go to for office hours and ask questions or go over a new eval with. Um, And so that really helped to just talk out my thoughts, get the lingos down, and make sure I'm billing things right. Um, So I could just kind of access the supervisor whenever I needed through email or just walking over to her desk. You know, that was a luxury, and and I know not every workplace has that. For example, me, I'm by myself as the only OT here at my school. Um, So I make sure that I have the people I can ask um, and, you know, ask for an organizational chart or maybe at your school, who, what are everyone's roles and responsibilities so that you know who to go to for a certain question. Um, but I think it's just building stakeholders that will be on your team and on your side um, is huge. So um, think about who to build really strong relationships with, who can help guide you and answer all these really important but so minute questions that are so important. At the end of the day, if you can reflect back on one good thing that went well and then one thing that you want to improve on tomorrow, let's say, is it that you want to get that billing done in X amount of minutes? Yeah, it held yourself accountable with just like one action item thing that you can work on and one thing that went pretty well. Those are excellent tips, Christy. I think these principles of goal setting, of reflecting, of working to establish a community of support uh, can make such a huge impact. And hopefully our, our new practitioners can be inspired uh, by this message to, to take those steps and start making or incorporating those things into their practice. How would you say, Christy, um, that you've been able to use AOTA resources to, to help you um, practice at the type of uh, at the top of your license, or be the best practitioner that you can be. It can be as small as seeing how does AOTA define OT. Um, there's this awesome page I was told about even just last week. It's titled "What is Occupational Therapy." Look at the way that they're defining OT because you're asked from people in your family to people out in the community, what is occupational therapy? So if you can get your elevator pitch down pat, that's huge because we're advocating for our field and you are feeling confident as a practitioner. So I'd recommend even looking at as big as that as or as a small as, let's say, a specific type of intervention. Is that helpful or not? I think about even AOTA's Choosing Wisely campaign about how can you be the best practitioner you can be. At least in the sensory field, that means starting with a comprehensive assessment. As small as that is of what you learned in OT school, it's huge. It goes miles in the pra- in the field because you can you know track how your student is doing objectively through assessments, um, or you can make really sound decisions and tell and advocate to teachers what does that sensory behavior look like if you have an assessment made. So I think the Choosing Wisely campaign is huge. Looking at, you know, what specifically you're interested in and what field you're working in, there is most likely that resource on AOTA. You got to just search for it. Find it in the search bar. I'm so glad to hear that AOTA is taking some good strides to advance and broadcast this information to practitioners on social media, um, on their website. 
Um, so just keep your eyes open as well. I mean, I think there's so much at our disposal out there on on social media um, feeds that sometimes we don't know if they're good quality or not. But we know that if it came from AOTA, there has to be evidence backed by it, whether it be an infographic or even just a systematic review. I would definitely, you know, second guess what you see in your reels or newsfeed unless it comes from a quality source like AOTA. That's that's a really great point. I know being a new practitioner, sometimes you can feel like you're on an island a little bit, like you're you're isolated. But when you're referring to an AOTA resource, there's an entire national professional organization that has your back right. and that's on your team. Right. Um, so there's really a lot of confidence that can that can come from using those resources. Right. Agreed. Is, are there any other resources that that you'd like to recommend to our listeners who are looking to, you know, amp up their practice or, or learn more about what we've discussed so far? There's so much information to digest. And if you spend some time maybe outside of your work time where you dedicate just looking at, oh, I need to find that one thing, that'll really help you and go miles. I think for me, for example, I get the often question at school of, you know, would a weighted vest help or not? There is so much evidence on AOTA's website whether that would help or not. And if you can think in your own circumstance, could you apply that evidence or not to what's found online? So that's just one example of the many things that I've had to look up on AOTA and share with parents, teachers, you know, our community so that we have sound interventions and we're helping students. I love that, Christy. You've shared so many helpful tips, so much great inspiration so far. It's time for our Golden Nugget segment, our concluding segment. If you could tell practitioners one thing, what would it be? Wow. I would say to really prioritize your mentorship and to get your foundational OT um clinical reasoning set up in the first couple of years. When I was a classroom teacher, I was informed that the most pivotal years for transformational growth were in the first couple of months practicing. I want to say between the three to six month mark of practicing. So if you're a new practitioner out there, keep asking questions. Um, Find someone that you can talk these questions out with and make sure you're getting sound habits as an OT practitioner. That's wonderful, Christy. Thank you again so much for your time and for being featured on the show today. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the AOTA podcast. Tune in again next time.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.